Hey folks, whether you're a regular listener or it's your first episode, thank you for tuning in. As always, make sure you are subscribed so that you never miss an episode. Digging for Kryptonite is available on all major podcast platforms. If you enjoy the show, please take a moment to leave a rating and review. It really does help others find the show and become part of our community. I appreciate it. And now, before we dive into this week's installment, which I hope you enjoy, here's a word about our sponsors. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. It helps support the show too. Thank you. I speak a lot on the show about how becoming a dad enhanced my appreciation of the Superman mythology. If you're a fellow father out there, or if you're just interested in hearing a fun conversation, check out Shadadigans, a weekly podcast by dads sharing their dad experiences. Listen, relate, and laugh. One of the hosts is a multiple guest of this show, Justin DeVoe. In recent years, Justin has embarked on a truly remarkable fitness and cosplay journey, which you can see for yourself on Instagram at Lobo. And if you're looking for guidance in starting or continuing your own fitness journey, check out Iron and Honor on Instagram. A tattered red cape blowing in the wind, a black and white costume and sense of justice, a red-blue blur, a black-suited first flight for the second time. This is some of the iconography of my Superman fandom. Together, on this podcast, we take a long view across time and media as we re-examine and discover the stories that have defined the Man of Steel and the larger DC universe. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me for Superman, the animated series mixtape volume four, returning guest, Jeremy Frotkin. Welcome back. Anthony, much like Toy Man, is proud of his creations. I'm so proud of your creation, Digging for Kryptonite, and to be back here with you. Listen, I so appreciate how you always have, you know, uh, one of these little bits ready to go at the top of these episodes. And it's always a, such a delightful surprise. I appreciate it. Oh, well, you, you got to right off the bat, you got to bring the fun. You got to bring the energy, especially when we're talking about a show that has just been such an absolute joy and a pleasure to rewatch. So I'm here. I'm hyped. I'm excited to talk about the mixtape number four that we have for all of our good listeners today. Yeah, this is our penultimate installment, which means that our last episode was our anti-penultimate. And it really breaks my heart that I didn't use that word last week because it's a great word and it doesn't get enough play. And I threw it in now, but last week would have been more Scrabble appropriate. Winner. Scrabble game winner, for sure, hands down. Yeah, so this is our second to last installment of our mixtapes, as we're calling them. So we have discussed Superman the Animated Series episodes revolving around Krypton, the Metropolis supporting cast, and the DCU team-ups. And this week, we are talking about the villains. And we have 11 episodes that we'll be touching on. And one of the things that was kind of running through my mind leading up to this is, you know, what a what a rich and deep well this show is. Because if you think about it, right, we've already discussed Brainiac, quote-unquote General Zod, <laughs> and, Lex, right. and Lex Luthor when we talked about Krypton and the Metropolis supporting cast. So we've already hit on you know, three major, major Superman villains. And, and, and Metallo. Don't forget about the homie Metallo. Metallo. I'm so sorry. I can't let you do my Metallic boy dirty like that. Anthony, all right? <laughs> I'm so sorry. You know what's funny? Because as I was saying it, I was like, I feel like I'm forgetting someone. <laughs> that's, what, that's why I'm here. You know, number one Metallo fan club, apparently. That's me. 
Yeah, but it's but it's so true. So I mean, despite already covering four real heavy hitters in the Superman Rogues Gallery, we still have more to discuss. And you know, one of the things that I like to try to counter uh, through this podcast are you know some of the the common criticisms about Superman. One of them that you often hear is that he doesn't have you know the deepest bench when it comes to villains. And are there characters in comics with a better Rogues Gallery? Sure, I would not I would not dispute that. But there's a That's lot fair. there's a lot to be had here. And again, the fact that we still have a lot to talk about in this episode, despite what we've already covered, I think speaks to that. So for this mixtape, these are the episodes that we will be discussing. And it's funny because even as much as we've already carved up Superman the Animated Series, even within this episode, I kind of see I'm gonna call them like three three sub buckets within our larger villain bucket here. So <laughs> yeah. we have a what I think is a really stellar quartet of episodes: Identity Crisis, which introduces Bizarro; Mixes Pixelated, which speaks for itself; Bizarro Bizarro's World, ditto; and Little Big Head Man, where Bizarro and Mixie's stories converge. So those four make up a nice, like a real nice run of episodes. And then we have uh, a, a quasi trilogy. We have the two part Main Man. Uh, story that introduces Lobo to the DC animated universe. And then we have Warrior Queen introducing Maxima with a Lobo cameo at the end. So that really ties it all together. I I almost stopped what I was doing and messaged you right away because I was like, oh, I remember after I respectfully aired my thoughts, maybe prematurely on Lobo and an earlier mixtape. I believe we said that we never saw him again. And then lo and behold, ready to make me eat crow, the main man came bursting through the wall. And I was like, well, at least we get another little uh, Lobo appearance. I did appreciate that. That was good fun. I had completely forgotten that he pops up again in that episode. And when it happened, I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I mean, this really just brings it all full circle here. And, you know, so those episodes, you know, become kind of a, a little bit of an outer space trilogy where Superman is paired up with an antagonist turned somewhat ally, right? So I think that's sort of those, that's sort of another category here. And then we have four more episodes, Fun and Games, Toy Man Origin, Obsession, Toy Man Follow-Up, and then Feeding Time, Parasite Origin, and Two's a Crowd, Parasite Follow-Up. So, uh, you know, that's, that's what we'll be covering those 11 episodes. And before we fully dive into that, just a quick note, Again, for anyone who's been keeping score um, with what we've will have what we will have covered by the end of this episode, as well as the eight new gods episodes that we're talking about in our finale next week, we will have discussed 46 out of the 54 episodes of Superman the Animated Series. And the ones that I left off, that I left out of our, our mixtapes here, um, t- to be honest, would have really fallen in this episode. Uh, I think more than any of the other mixtapes. So I guess it felt appropriate. I'll just mention the ones that we, that we didn't discuss live wire action figures, double dose monkey fun, where there's smoke unity, solar power and Promethean. Were there any from that list that you were surprised and or disappointed that I did not include in the mixtapes? I'll be honest with you, and this this might sound like a, a cop out answer, but after how much fun, and I cannot believe how far in this journey we are already, and it's been so enjoyable. It really has flown by. But 
I think I'm still going to go back and really watch every single one of those episodes on my own anyway, to be perfectly honest with you, just because I'm so excited to, uh, to really just get every little, little last ounce out of this show. So, but I think for the sake of continuity, when we were talking about the, the episode setup, I still think that even though, yes, those episodes are left behind, all of those episodes don't have a strong either overarching theme, connection, or I think critical analysis on Superman or his world that makes them, at least on the surface, I mean, I've been wrong on this show before, I'll be wrong again, at least on the surface, that doesn't lend them worthy of the immediate study and kind of fit into that nice theme of each of these mixtapes. So I will go back and watch them still, and I'll report back to you if I uh, change my mind on that. But I think this was the way to go for the sake of uh, ease and kind of themes for each of our mixtapes. Yeah, I mean, I I appreciate that. And yes, I stand by the, the selections and the organization we went with. I mean, I did make these determinations based largely on memory and reading episode descriptions, i.e., you know, we carved this up before we did our rewatch. So, you know, it's possible I might go to one of these skipped episodes at some point and say, oh, wow, like that really would have fit in there. I mean, look, in fairness, the solar power episode, that's the one where Leitner, the guy who had uh, targeted Lois Lane in an earlier episode, which we talked about when we talked about the supporting cast, you know, he becomes the villain Luminous. So it's like, you know, that, that could have been a connection point. But I felt like when we're talking about that character of, of, of Lightner, I thought that the Target episode was more effective and, and more worthy of discussion. But I say all Absolutely. of that to say, you know, if anyone out there, you know, if, if any of those episodes are someone's favorite, you know, I'm sorry we didn't get to it. It's, uh, again, it's not even necessarily a criticism, but I think it just, you know, I, I went with my favorite episodes, but also the ones that, as, as we've both been saying, you know, kind of lent themselves well to this, this discussion that we've been having. And I would encourage all of our wonderful fans out there, too, whether it's on the Patreon or on Twitter or on the Facebook group or wherever you may be. Uh, if we missed one that you really like, let us know. You know, let us know, because I'd be really curious to take a look at it. And so much of these conversations have been so fun because I feel like Anthony and I have agreed in a bunch. But we've also kind of opened each other's eyes on a bunch of things from our different perspectives on these uh, these episodes as well. So I'd love to talk further in the community about some of these episodes that we missed even. Maybe there's something that you and I aren't given a fair shake that we overlooked. Yeah, well said. And, you know, the other thing too, sort of building off of that, as much as, you know, this is a five episode event that you and I are doing, you know, that's not to say that we couldn't revisit the series at some point in the future. So, you know, if anyone can make a compelling case for any of those episodes, uh, like I said, I always try to keep an open mind and who knows, there could be another episode down the line from us on it. So let go. me just start with the big picture question. And we were, we were sort of touching on this before we started recording, but we purposely held back because we wanted to save it for the, for the recording. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, just too, ex too excited as always so yeah. to start talking to <laughs> but I mean, just overall, big picture, what was your take on this run of episodes, this collection of episodes on the villains? I thought for, and again, I think you set us up perfectly for uh, for the first hit out here, right? When you said that Superman and his rogues gallery does kind of sometimes get that criticism, which I think is unfair because, yeah, when you think of the best rogues gallery in comic books, right, you're going to think of your Batmans and your Spider-Mans. That's the, off the top of my head, the first two that come to my mind, right? But Superman really should be up there. And I think the stories told in these episodes with these villains, while they aren't the quote unquote heavy hitters that you immediately think of with Superman, I think the stories and the the wonderful stories that were told with some of these really show that his rose gallery is worthy and does have a nice level of depth that even with some of these, I want to say, let's call them B and C tier 
maybe uh, villain characters, these rogues, if you will, you can still tell such wonderful stories with capable writers and capable creators and uh, interesting stories. I thought that this mixtape ranged from okay to great. I don't think any of these episodes hit the tremendous heights that we've seen in some of the other ones, but I really didn't have a bad time watching any single one of these episodes. I'll say that. So I think that in and of itself is a huge accomplishment when, you know, let's be honest, when you're talking about Toy Man and Parasite, most people aren't going to get particularly excited. So I think you're going to have to go out of your way and maybe work a little harder to even tell an okay story. So I give them credit for that, for sure. Yes, I, I'll give my quick hits real fast. So I thought that the Toy Man and Parasite episodes were, were solid. Not duds, yep. but not, you know, not my favorite of the series. Toy Man, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll unpack all of this more as we make our way through. Toy Man was way creepier than I remembered as a kid. And I was actually more unnerved by Toy Man now than I think I was when I watched this at, at 10 Great years choice. old. Great choice. Great choice. Yeah. Uh, Creepy. Oh. Yeah, the uh, the Lobo and Maxima episodes were way more fun than I thought they were going to be. And for the main man two-parter in particular, that synth rock score, man, that carried that episode. That made it for me. I had, I had I just had a lot of fun and I both you know, both of those stories put Superman in a different position and set up a different dynamic than we've seen with him, right? We've had stories where he's teamed up with other heroes and we've had stories where he's fought villains. But these were somewhere in between, right? You know, Maxima and Lobo yep. both start off as pure antagonists and then they are forced to work together. And I thought that that opened up a new pocket of Superman's character that I really, really liked. So I will be perfectly honest. I saved those pretty much for the end of the of the watch and I wasn't really expecting much and I was very pleasantly surprised. But where I, where I would say there was greatness was in that quartet of Bizarro and Mixus Pitalik episodes. And I was looking forward to those. I, I did remember those fondly. I remember them as being very funny. But upon rewatch, what really struck me was the, the very artful balance, especially in the Bizarro episode specifically, between humor and heartbreak. And again, these four episodes really work very nicely together. And, you know, we talked probably in every episode so far, but definitely one of our prior mixtapes, you know, singing the praises of the voice cast here. And, you know, yes. Tim Daly as Clark and Superman, Clancy Brown as Lex, Dana Delaney as Lois, you know, much has been said about them and, and rightly so. But is there anything as delightfully inspired as Tim Daly as Bizarro pulling double duty? I love that performance more than I can say. Tim Daly put in not only the work to put a iconic and timeless Superman, but also gave us a Bizarro. That wasn't just a trope or a one-note character, but helped bring to life this tragic, empathetic character with, it's, well, again, we're talking about Bizarro here, which is a known Superman villain, don't get me wrong, but to do that with this character, I thought was one of the most impressive feats that Superman the Animated Series has accomplished thus far in our watch -throughs. I mean, that episode, I love that whole arc and how they kind of combine everything with a mix of Piddle it as well, too, but identity crisis episode 
where uh, and I, if I'm going jumping in too fast, too furious, you let me know. Will yeah. me back. But nine ninety Chris episode, even the way it begins, start from the very beginning, right? Superman's flying around the city. He's saving some kids. He gives a almost like a golden age ish lecture to them. You know, ruffles the kids' hair and flies away. And it's like, oh, this is a very like traditional Superman beginning. And then surprise, Superman appears. And now you're staring at two Superman. What a tremendous start to keep your audience not comfortable and i mean that in the best way to i almost wish that that episode and we've talked about this before too with the captions sometimes that you see in the descriptions i almost wish that this episode i know it's called identity crisis i almost wish it was even more vague and i would hope that somebody would go into this not even knowing it was a bizarro episode which again we're part of the problem here too right because if you're if you're listening along and haven't watched yet we're burying the lead here a little bit but um it was just so such a shocking visual. And then to see, you know, the white paint, quote unquote, like, hey, you know, your makeup's running. I think he gives the quip to him and turning white and to be like, no, but like, you know, we just spent a few minutes with Superman. And even that few minutes was such a good choice because you say, OK, this is Superman. And it becomes this horror story, like this kind of horror story being like, this can't be happening to me. I'm Superman. And then, of course, we find out that he is ultimately the clone Bizarro, who our girl Mercy again, ends up coming up with the name Bizarro, if I'm not mistaken, right? Kind of a nice little nod to Mercy as well, too. And uh, it's just this horrific, horrible story. And Anthony, you're going to laugh maybe when you say this. I don't know. You, you might agree with me. I think this is the most I've ever hated Lex Luthor in this show, in this run so far. And I know he's done a lot of damage and a lot of like city-level, if not world-level threats. But what he did by bringing Bizarro into existence and what he was trying to do with those clones was so disgusting and reprehensible to me. And to see the way that Bizarro suffered, it's funny, right? Because we're so used to, I think, on a surface level, these quote-unquote super villains. And I almost hate doing that, but these antagonists is probably the better word for somebody like Luther. To do these, you know, grand sweeping, like, I'm going to, you know, destroy the city or take over the world to do this. It's so much more impactful for me. And I'd be willing to bet a lot of people when there's one person who they're intimately just ruining their life they created his life and is ruining it and lex luther is the cause of this would-be superman suffering and existence and it is just despicable and it's deplorable and me having that reaction means that they wrote a great episode i agree with all of that and yeah a lot to unpack i'll, I'll start backwards with the lex of it all so two two Lex thoughts that one is is specifically relevant to what you just said and another ties into one of our other topics here but it was funny and I'm skipping to the end of of identity crisis but you know Lex's lab is destroyed right and and Bizarro seemingly perishes um holding up the building to allow Superman to rescue Lois I mean it's a tragic end that really shows his Beautiful moment his heroic heart, right? He's this twisted doppelganger, but there's this, this bedrock of heroism within him. And it's, it's really heartbreaking. It's tragic. There's so much tragedy to Bizarro. I have, I have a lot to say on Bizarro. I love Bizarro, but uh, you know, Lex gets away with mercy in the helicopter, right? And the lab is destroyed. And thankfully in the Bizarro's world episode, we get a follow-up where Lois is going to the site of the lab to investigate because at the end of identity crisis, I remember saying to myself, they don't seem all that concerned about Lex. And no. it just sort of seemed like, oh, that Lex <laughs> cooking up clones. It's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't think you're supposed to be doing that. 
again, like in many ways, that's like a serious, like, again, saying that's the worst thing he's ever done is a completely subjective thing, but that is a major human rights violation that like Luther is committing in there. It's, it's terrible, both like on a micro level, because he created this being for suffering, but also that like Lex has the ability to clone Superman and is making these clones. Like that is a serious violation and a serious problem. And we do actually get to see a little check in further down the line, right? Uh, in one of the uh, the later episodes as well about that site and what happens to it in the future. But I, I agree with you completely. I would have thought there would have been a much more, this is wrong, we need to go stop Lex right now. Like, I thought the next episode was going to be, you know, them hunting down Lex Luthor and making him accountable for what he did there. I, I totally agree with that reaction. Now, in fairness to the show, you know, before I knew that we were going to go back to the site in Bizarro's world and we would get some follow-up on investigating Lex, I just kind of chalked it up to, well, the lab was destroyed and with it all of the evidence, so really what could they do? But the fact that it wasn't addressed in the Identity Crisis episode, it really just felt like they were more or less okay with what Lex had done. So I was glad that there was some follow-up, but it was kind of funny in the moment of watching it. There was a nice callback to uh, the kryptonite episode, right, where Superman is weakened and he's fighting yes. off the dinosaur and he he bleeds and that's the, the DNA sample that Lex needs in order to, to begin this process. The other Lex Luthor related thing that <laughs> I had this thought when I was watching the the main man two-parter, when Superman and Lobo are, are, are fighting in Metropolis, right, and they, they crash through the Luthor Tower, right? And I just had this thought, uh, and, and they, like, they crash through twice, Yes. And I just had this thought, I know this is not the case, right? I know Superman would never do this, all right? I know. But I couldn't help but think, and the, it really tickled me to think this, that like whenever he's having a battle with someone, if he knows there's no avoiding a building, <laughs> just this idea that like he aims for Lex. <laughs> I mean, this is why I'm not Superman. Uh, 10 out of 10 times, that's what I would do probably. And it is funny because it happens twice. And uh, it's great, you know. We get that whole like deadpan humor line from Clancy Brown as it's happening too. It was a is a fun moment. It was. Yeah, and I, you know, I agree with everything else. You know, and this prompted me to reflect on the original experience of watching the show because, not to sound like a hundred years old, but right, the way we watch any content has changed so much, and you know, now we have, you know, there's so much information that's out ahead of time, whether it's TV or movies, right? And, you know, so a lot of these days it's hard to avoid being spoiled. Like it's hard to go in cold on anything. But, you know, thinking back to, to watching this cartoon when it was first airing, I, I can't imagine ever having any knowledge about what these episodes were going to be about ahead of time. How, you know, how would I have? I mean, at most I would have seen a commercial on the WB right. about what the episode was going to be about. And to be honest, I don't, I mean, I, I know I did at some point, but I don't even have specifically vivid memories of that. So... Uh, yeah, there's something to be said for that. It's like, yeah, we're going in now. Like we know, okay, this is the first Bizarro episode, but I think if you, and this is a testament to the show, to your point, like, I think if you watch this, if you don't read the description <laughs> and you just queue up identity crisis, you don't know exactly where it's going. And it is a wonderful setup where, like you said, you see quote unquote Superman rescue those kids and then rescue Clark. And it's mm -hmm. like, there's just that imagery, like you said, and you know, you never see the two of them together, obviously. And so it's so, there's this dissonance there for us, the audience, but for, but for Clark as well, which is great to get, you know, his reaction to yeah. it. Uh, a part of me too, when I, when I saw that scene, I was just like, I wonder if a part of Clark is like, okay, this is weird. It needs to be addressed, but it also is a good thing, <laughs> right? 
because uh, I feel like so many times he's in a jam and needs to prove that Clark and Superman can exist in the same place. And he kind of had that little out there too. So there was a nugget of positivity, a silver lining in that, that crossed my mind as I, as I was watching that scene. I mean, if you're Clark, right. Cause he's in the car with Lois and they're, they're, you know, following this police chase. Right. And then she swerves and he falls out of the car and he goes over, over the cliff. It's like, if you're Clark, you have to imagine you're thinking, like god damn it like how am i going to explain this right what is he going to do at that point yeah i wonder it makes you wonder but good thing superman was there to save the day yes now are you are you a bizarro fan generally like are there other bizarro stories you've ever really encountered that you're they're a fan of not really just in passing i mean i have nothing against bizarro um i know like the stories in the comics for bizarro range from campy to tragic to, I guess, more like a modern-day humor, humor take. There was that whole run where he was creating, like, bizarro versions of other villains and heroes as well, too, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, I'm really, again, just in passing, but nothing really affected me uh, that I've read more than watching this. But as, as has been happening, I've been showing you and showing everybody on social media, I get inspired by these episodes, and I have to go read some comics based on some of these characters, which is super fun. Another sign that it's a great show. They're inspiring me to read source material, so, which we talked about uh, in our previous mixtape. But um, I do, I am curious, and I'd be curious for, to hear from you or if there's any other uh, you know, really big Bizarro fans. I'd love to hear some essential Bizarro reading. I would love some recommendations. Yeah, it's funny. You know, much as we've held up the animated series and its depiction of Metallo as the best incarnation of that character. I, I think I would go so far as to say the same thing about this show's take on, on Bizarro. And, there you, go. you know, I've always appreciated the character. There's, I feel like Bizarro allows for a lot because you can have a physical confrontation and not all of the Superman rogues galleries can engage with Superman on a physical level. A lot of times it's more, you know, mental, more game of strategy. So Mm -hmm. you can actually have that battle and that spectacle, but Mm -hmm. there is, like I said, this inherent tragedy to the character. He begins thinking he's Superman and has to come to terms with the fact that he's not, he's this twisted reflection of the character and he can't think clearly uh, yet he still has enough of the, the, the core or the memory of the character that it really creates this, this inner conflict. So there's he that comes from good stock, right? Yeah. Like Lois, like says. Lois says he comes from good stock. Yeah. You know, so there's that, that heartbreaking aspect to the character, but there's also room for humor as well. You know, we get these, you know, these great gags of him, you know, like plowing through, you know, war uh, oh. walls and doors and, and ceilings. It's fan- so it's hilarious. And it's, it, it, it was the humor definitely lands as well, too, which is such a hard thing to do and such a short amount of time, right? They really do a good job of mixing that tragedy, but also that, that humor that is inherent to Bizarro, not exactly fitting in to the world as he perceives it around him. We'll be back in action in just a moment following these words about our sponsors. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On To Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, ticketing information, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network.
I traveled to comic book stores across America to make the documentary film My Comic Shop Country. Unfortunately, my travels didn't take me to Texas, but when I do eventually find myself in the Lone Star State, my first comic shop stop will be the Hive Comics and Tabletop Games. As they say, we exist to make your entry into nerdy realms easy. An oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas, Hive carries a full selection of comics, manga, and gaming, including Magic, D&D, Yu-Gi-Oh!, and Pokemon. Visit them in person or via their online shop at thehivecomics.com. And now we return to digging for kryptonite. I mean, look, we'll we'll dig more into the Bizarro's World episode, but I don't know that anything ever made me laugh as hard in this entire animated series as Bizarro mistaking the doorman for Jor-El. Yep. And from when I watched it as Phenomenal a kid fan. to watching it now, it still gets me. <laughs> and going back to the vocal performance, the da-da. It, like, it's not just that yeah. he's like, oh, it's my, it's like, da-da. It's, I love, it's so, yep. so funny. It's like genuinely funny. But in all of these episodes, while they do take the opportunity for humor, uh, they don't reduce Bizarro to only that. And I think that's He's where, not a cliche. Yeah. yeah. And I yep. think that's the balance that they're able to strike here. And then again, going back to just Bizarro generally, and this show in particular, like the the potential here, the 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 track that this show takes that you know t- takes its cue from the modern comics for, for the most part right is that uh it's a, he's a clone right created by lex you know the, you know the, who degenerates and it doesn't you know it doesn't go as planned but created by lex i've read i don't know i don't know that i've read any pre-crisis bizarro stories but my understanding is that it used to be a duplicating ray that's used on superboy or superman and that creates this imperfect double um but you know, beginning with the John Burns Man of Steel, which, you know, you and I read, um, you know, we had this idea of Lex trying to clone Superman and ending up with Bizarro. And he went through a few rounds of that in the post-crisis comics. More recently, well, not so recent anymore, <laughs> as I'm constantly reminded of, but when, yep, yep, yep. when we got to one of my favorite periods, the Jeff Loeb, Joe Kelly era of the comics from the um, early 2000s, there was a yet another iteration of the character introduced during the Emperor Joker storyline. So this was a, a character created in that Emperor Joker world who then made his way over. Um, so again, there have been different different takes on the character, but the the version who is an imperfect clone created by Lex, I think works best because then that, again, that brings Lex into the fold as well. And, uh, you know, to your point, I think just, again, shows the inhumanity of, of the character that he's, you know, so, so callous with this life that he has created. So it just like, it allows for so much. Uh, but again, I would say this is probably one of my favorite, favorite takes. I wish that, you know, for all the, it's funny for all the Superman movie takes that we've gotten, we tend to see the same villains used over and over. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that should be rectified. I agree completely. I feel like Spider-Man and the subsequent films, Batman and the subsequent films, I feel like both of those who also have substantial role galleries have done at least a little bit of a better job of differentiating, right? Even in the new Batman, the Batman movie we're, we're having, we're seeing what appears to be at least more of a focus on the Riddler, you know, with some supplemental Penguin. And of course, we've seen Catwoman before, but shifting the focus a little bit. And I would love to see a Superman movie with more of a focus on a, on a Bizarro. Or maybe one of these other characters that don't always get the limelight. I think that's a, a very 
very astute observation. So if you're listening, DC, and I know they are religious listeners <laughs> to Digging for Kryptonite, we'll be waiting for our checks. So whenever you're ready. If anyone from Warner Brothers heard some of the discussions we've had, I don't know how happy they would be, but it's all justified. But, you know, that's the thing. Like we've had these, we've had three, you know, it, you know, big screen incarnations of the character. And we've gone from, you know, uh, Lex and Zod to Lex to Zod, then Lex. <laughs> you know, it's been, it's, <laughs> so let's, let's spice it up. It would be nice to have more variety. And again, I think Bizarro really lends himself well to that for all the reasons that we've been talking about. Now we did get, you know, the, the Superboy TV series did use, utilize Bizarro. Um, I have not yet gotten to that animated series uh, in in my Superman mythology exploration. So I'll circle back to that. But, you know, I, I am very familiar with the Smallville version of uh, of Bizarro. Do you, do you recall that from uh, from the end of season six, beginning of season seven? Only when I first saw it many, many moons ago. But I do remember Bizarro being a part of it and making an appearance. I, it's, it's top of mind for me because towards the end of 2021, I was a guest on the Always Hold On to Smallville podcast, and we talked about the episode Persona, which was the third and final episode dealing with Smallville's version of Bizarro, and their take was really divorced from everything we've been talking about. Their, quote-unquote, Bizarro was a phantom from the Phantom Zone who passed through Clark and stole a piece of his DNA and used it to, to resemble Clark. It's too much already. And we've had, we've had this discussion too about how, about how I am. Once you have to start explaining things in like multiple, multiple, multiple steps, I start being like, okay, this is a little bit much, you know? I like Lex Luthor tried to make a clone of Superman. This is what happened, you know? Well, what, when we talked about this on Always Hold On to Smallville, what, what's utterly baffling about that was that Lex was Lex on Smallville was conducting cloning experiments. So it's like, it felt like, what are they doing? It was was right there. So, you know, that version of Bizarro was again, very different than I think virtually any other uh, depiction of the character. So um, again, I circle back to this animated series and I think this was a very, very strong, effective take on the character. And, uh, and and like I said, I loved the, you know, the, the Tim Daly performance here. Is there anything else so about um, identity crisis that you want to say before we continue making our way through this uh, this quartet? Uh, so I'll, I'll say this, I think, because it really hits home in this episode. And this is one of the thoughts I had, again, just as, as we're discussing that I hadn't even considered. I think some of the reason why the tragedy of Bizarro works so much in identity crisis, and especially in the first few minutes of this episode, is Bizarro has to deal with the pain and the horror of realizing that he's not who he thought he was. And I think on some level, that's like a deeply human fear and deeply human experience that we could all understand if not relate to, right? We were so 100% sure we were this great person, this great thing. Uh Uh-oh, what if it turns out we're something different? And even in our own way, Bizarro certainly does it in his own way. How do we wrestle with and live with that? I think that's kind of why this hits such a chord, at least for me, when watching it as well. Yes. No, well said. That's, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. That's the tragedy of the character that you don't, and I don't know. I mean, maybe other, other people feel differently and there are other characters that who they would hold up. But I mean, I feel like Bizarro occupies kind of a unique space in the Superman rogues gallery when we're talking about that, that element of tragedy. Um, so I'm, I'm totally with you. Uh, we'll circle back to the first Mixie episode, but I want to talk about Bizarro's world. 
Bizarro, Bizarro's world is great, you know, so we find out that, of course, Bizarro did not perish in the lab, uh, you know, sacrificing himself to save Lois, but he, you know, he made it out. Right. And, you know, I, I think if I, if I recall correctly, right, he sees a news report with Professor Hamilton talking about Superman's, you know, uh, Arctic hideaway, right, and Bizarro's mm-hmm. able to find it. I might be overthinking things slash nitpicking, but in in Bizarro's world, his DNA is close enough to Superman's that he's able to access the Kryptonian key and learn about Krypton. Yeah. But it's different enough that Kryptonite doesn't work on him. Now, again, maybe I'm nitpicking, but that felt a little convenient. And also, like, boy, how bad did Lex Luthor really screw that up? <laughs> Or did he? Or was he really close? I don't really know. You're right. Uh, again, I'm sure we could nitpick and try to logic. Well, just the way the DNA sequencing happened to, you know, is this one thing. But yeah, it is It is one of those things where it's like, uh, if it was that close. Also, you would think if it was that close, like he wouldn't maybe have such a visible market difference on every single front as well. Maybe it was just a very broad scanner. I don't know. But that's a, that's a good point. It's an interesting point. I couldn't help but think about that. But you know, talked about the you know the the appearance of Bizarro. We talked about the voice. I was very grateful that they didn't lean into the backward speak that yep. is often associated with Bizarro. And look again, that Jeff Loeb Joe Kelly era of the comics. I have a lot of affection for it. I really do. I did as a kid. I I do now after rereading it for this podcast. But oh my god, it drove me nuts reading their bizarro yep. stories where it's like everything was backwards. And at a certain point I'm like, all right, like I get the shtick, but it's enough. And so I really appreciated the balance they found here. It's a cute gag to use once anymore. You're just straining your reader unnecessary. Give us, if you're going to do that, give us the asterisk where it says translated from backwards or bizarro speak. Just, just let us get, <laughs> let us get to where we need to go. And maybe I'm just lazy in my old age here, Anthony, but I am a hundred percent in agreement with you. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing I got, you know, I got to the point with some of those, those Jeff Loeb comics where I'm like, I feel like I'm working too hard to try to figure out what this character is saying. <laughs> and It's not worth it. Yes. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, and that, that takes you out of the story too, doesn't it? Takes you out of the story a little bit when you have to pause and read it backwards and kind of compute everything that's happening. Yeah, I feel like the me and Bizarro goes a long way, you know? Yeah. yeah. That that's, that's suffi- that for me that's sufficient. For anyone who really enjoys the Bizarro speak, I got some Jeff Loeb comics for you. You'll love them. But, you know, so in in the Bizarro's World episode, you know, he learns about Krypton and I love, you know, when he's going through the fortress and he's walking through Superman's intergalactic zoo, which of course was set up previously in the main man two-parter, which, you know, we'll yes. get into more, but right. The preserver, mm-hmm. uh, this, uh, which I have a lot to say about the preserver and it kind of all ties back to our larger discussions about Brainiac, but we'll, we'll get there. But anyway, Superman rescues these creatures from the preserver ship and brings them to the fortress and in, in the main man two-parter. And of course, you know, Bizarro is, is making his way through this and, uh, you know, he lets the animals out and that that dog-like creature who he names Crypto is like trying to bite his it. head off. And he's like, oh, like, oh, doggy. It's, it's great. <laughs> Funny Crypto. <laughs> so good. I, I love Bizarro's Crypto. Yeah. He's precious and we must protect him at all costs. Yes. Well, and you know, you get such a great payoff to that because at the end of the episode, you know, Superman gives Bizarro his own planet to protect, but there's no one there. Until Superman yep. opens that hatch on the ship and Bizarro's crypto is there. And like that was such a, that was such a lovely moment and a great payoff to that. 
and that so and that that's also why I think you touched on again why Bizarro is such a wonderful character, especially in uh, this run in the, the animated series here, because he's not only a great lens to show how despicable Luther is, but he's a fantastic lens to just show those core values of what makes Superman who he is as well. You know, looking into a clone of himself who's deformed and still seeing, not recoiling in horror. You know, not not trying to immediately destroy him because of mistakes, but still approaching this with understanding and just such compassion. And I think that's why also Bizarro and Superman are a great pair. A thousand percent, because when we get to that little big man episode, little big head man episode mm-hmm. where Mixie leads Bizarro astray, you know, we get to, to the end of that and, you know, Superman takes a, an energy blast meant for Bizarro. Yeah, and yes. It's one of... I think Superman's best moments in this series where, you know, he extends his hand to Bizarro and it's, you know, it's the hand of friendship and forgiveness. And he even, and you know, my, I think even my favorite part about that is he says to Bizarro, you know, Mixis Pitta like, you know, tricked you like he's, or Bizarro might even say that himself, but Superman's like, you know, he's done it to me too. Yeah. That's a great line. He's done it to me too. And he, again, he's approaching, everything with compassion and understanding Superman is who we all strive to be not because of his powers. At least, you know, I maybe I'm speaking broadly here, not because of his powers, but just because he can be in a situation and still have the empathy and wherewithal to approach it like that. It's a bar that I'll never hit completely. I think to be perfectly honest with you, but that's why I love Superman so much. Right. Because in those moments I'm like, man, I really hope and I wish I would react the same exact way that he just reacted with Bizarro. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like for all the trouble that Bizarro has caused, you know, he, the fact that he's still able to do that, yeah, speaks volumes uh, about him. And, you know, again, I'm jumping ahead, but, but you know, jumping around, I think that's one of the advantages of these mixed, why we do it this way is that we can see how these episodes yeah. sort of feed off of each other, no pun intended, but the feeding time episode, which introduces, you know, Rudy Jones as, as Parasite, you know, when... Quite a segue. Quite a segue. <laughs> when, you know, Superman first encounters Parasite and Parasite, you know, draining someone's energy and he's causing trouble like down by the bay, you know, Superman's first move is to try to help and try to bring him in yep. and bring him back to Star Labs. It's not to attack. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, seeing that is, is really great. And I'll continue jumping around. One of my favorite moments from uh, the main man to Parter with Lobo is after Superman and Lobo are are captured on the Preserver ship, right? The last Kryptonian yep. and the last Zarnian. Superman manages to escape, and he's going to leave Lobo there, right? Lobo came to mm-hmm. Earth to collect a bounty on Superman's head, caused a ton of destruction. As far as Superman's concerned, like, he can stay in his, in his cage. Yeah. And as Superman's walking away, you know, he says, like, you deserve to be here. And as he's walking away, Lobo's going on about, like, when I get out, I'm coming back to Earth. I'm going to find you, this and that. And he also makes some very unpleasant and not children appropriate threats about Lois Lane, which we can talk about later if you want. But yeah. Yeah. I don't, there was some stuff that I was like, I don't know that a kid's cartoon would do this now. Right. Right. You know, but it was a different, yeah, it's over 25 years ago, but you know, Superman yeah. stops and you know, you don't see the thought bubble of him, you know, uh, going through everything, but it's like, you know, you get a sense of that calculus that he's doing where he's like, all right, if I leave him here, this is going to be, uh, you know, uh, something that could come back to bite me in the future. Like, this is unfinished business. But it's like, if I, and it, on the one hand, I don't know. It's like, you can argue, maybe he saw some 
some shred of goodness in Lobo or he just saw him as a means to an end in that moment or it was really calculated like maybe I truly can make a deal with him maybe he's good enough for his word that if we make this bargain well, now and that's that I, I I would tend to believe that it is actually seeing the potential still his inherent goodness and Lobo's because one of the things and again I'm jumping around too of course but one of the things about Lobo that I absolutely loved about this show is when you have a character, somebody like a Lobo, or even like a Deadpool, I think if those characters are just played on the surface with their zany violence and nothing else, it just it doesn't last very long, it doesn't hold my interest, and it doesn't do it for me. For any character as off the walls as they might be, there needs to be some shred of humanity and something relatable in there. And in this, Lobo's word is his bond is something that he says in, in these these episodes as well, which shows that he has a code, which is also related to the comics as well. I'm happy to report, as I did my research <laughs> also. So his word is his bond, and Lobo actually does pay Superman back by doing a good deed and kind of helping save the day by opening that, by opening that hatch. And even the last line, or one of the last lines we see in The Main Man, where Superman does have that new menagerie, of all these animals and species that are last of his kind is that, you know, he just has a soft spot for hard cases. And when I saw that, I was like, oh no, I love these Lobo episodes because they did it again. Not only were they just so much fun, they again provided such a wonderful lens to show us who Superman is. So I, I tremendous characterization of Lobo and of Superman both. Yeah, you know, that main man two-parter was really structured beautifully because it would have been really easy to just make that a single episode story where Lobo comes to Earth to collect a bounty on Superman and Superman's able to drive him away and Superman flies off and Lex has to fix his building. And it would have been fine, yep. to be honest. Like, that, you know, it would have been solid enough. Um, but the fact that they, you know, gave us part two... Right, where we see Lobo, you know, deliver Superman to the Preserver and then the Preserver turn on Lobo and take him to as the last of his kind as well, you know, thereby putting Superman and Lobo in this position where they have to work together. And, you know, it's that classic, you know, uh, like, you know, unlikely buddy cop team, you know, sort of thing where so much fun, you know, it's it's uh, it, it just works so well. And, and like I said before. It's a different dynamic than you than you see in any of these other episodes. Um, so I really appreciated that. And. You know, shout out to Justin DeVoe, who cosplays as Lobo, at Real Life Lobo yes. on Instagram. Check out his stuff. He, you know, he's a huge Lobo fan. I haven't had a chance to connect with him on, on his thoughts regarding, you know, the Superman the Animated Series in particular. But, you know, I, I, like, I, I don't have much of an attachment to the character of Lobo, but I really enjoyed this take. And, you know, Justin can correct me, and maybe you can too now from the reading that you've done. You know, I've not read those original Lobo stories, but I feel like... I, my sense watching this and with the little bit that I do know from the original comics, I feel like the show did as much as it could to yep. retain the original spirit and rough edge of the character for a Saturday morning kid show is from the little bit that you've read. I mean, does that, does that track? Yeah, it definitely tracks. Cause even in um what, what I was reading, right. Where it's uh, the whole, then that, that first, I think it's the first limited series again, uh, Justin, if you're listening, you can totally please, we'd love your feedback on all this being the, the resident expert, but that whole arc that I'm reading that limited series is him 
uh, funnily enough, protecting what ends up being another Zarnian that he missed that ends up kind of funnily being his fourth grade teacher, which is a whole thing. So it's like this old woman who's a Zarnian who has to protect, but the whole hook of the story is he accepted the mission from his governing agency. His bounty, so to speak, was to be uh, transport, was to make sure that his uh, target reached their location safely and alive. So now, because that word is his bond, he can't kill this uh, this Zarnian that he wants to kill because he tried to kill him. So that whole word is his bond is actually a, a key fundamental plot point to the entire story. So I think even just you know, having that line there where he's like, my word is my bond. As soon as I saw that and I read the comic, I was like, ah, oh, okay. Somebody definitely did at least a little bit of their homework or, or found what I think the key parts. And, you know, I don't, I don't know Justin at all, but I will say this. It's going to be interesting for him and maybe for other people who are Lobo fans to hear me throughout the runs of these mixtapes, right? Because I wouldn't go far as to say that I'm a Lobo super fan anymore, but I went from really not thinking much of the character at all to understanding that there is a level of depth and appeal that makes him a worthy character of study as well. And again, this Superman, the animated series is what got me there. Yeah. I mean, and it's, and it's, and again, Justin, please bear with me here for the first part of this, but yeah, I mean, I would say historically when Lobo has shown up in a story that I'm reading or watching, I think feel like my reaction has sort of been like this guy. Right. You know, (laughs) loud, brash. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, but I definitely, I really did come away from this with, with a greater appreciation. I was like, I wanted, you know, I wanted more Lobo, which, you know, I, I think that really is a testament to these episodes. And, you know, which I got to correct me if I'm wrong, we get further, further, further down the line, right? In a Justice League episode, we see him again as well, right? You and I, will, you're, you and I are going to get there. We'll talk more off mic. I have plans for a follow up to the event good. that we're doing now. So yeah, we'll get there. That's so, you know, that's the thing. And, and I'll actually, I mentioned this now because, you know, for anyone who, you know, if there's anything we've said in these episodes where you're like, oh, but then they, they follow this up in Justice League or Justice League Unlimited. I know. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we're going to get there. And that's like, that's been one of the cool things about revisiting these Superman episodes. Cause I remember I don't, I don't know that I would say I remember the Justice League stuff more vividly, but I watched it more recently. Um, Same. So Same. Uh, so some of it stands out a little bit more, but one of the things that's been so great about going back to these is like, oh man, you know, they planted so much in Superman the Animated Series that would come to fruition in Justice League. So uh, again, I'm well aware of the ways in which this kind of all ties together and well, we're going to get there, uh, which, you know, which will be great. I had to give a shout out to Brad Garrett, the voice actor for Lobo, uh, who also voices Bibbo. Oh, does he? Yeah. So uh, it's funny. he's from Everybody Loves Raymond. He sure is. Right? He, I, I was like, I know who this is. And then, of course, I looked it up. and I was like, oh, yes, it's Brad Garrett. Phenomenal. Yeah. Does a wonderful job as Lobo. Wonderful job. Yeah, he's great. I, you know, like I said in the last episode, I didn't necessarily love the characterization of Bibbo, but... I, I enjoyed his vocal performance and, and, and even more so as, as Lobo. And I, I know I, I mentioned this before, but I, I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't being facetious that uh, the score for the main man two-parter was so fitting. And what was really cool is they even did like a synth rock version of the Superman theme. Yeah, I was going to say it if you did. Yep, yep. And it's so cool because like when they're together or they're meeting, you almost get kind of that mashup of the of the music. So uh, we, we've talked about how great the music is on the show a bunch. But again, my goodness, what a score and what such great decisions that are accompanying what you're seeing that they make. 
Yeah, you know, and I mean, we have talked about the music, but, um, you know, it really, the the main man two-parter, and even the one of the Bizarro episodes, maybe it was the first one, Identity Crisis, if I'm not mistaken, we got like a twisted version of the Superman theme. When he when he takes off and flies for one of like the the first time when he's in full bizarre mode we hear it and it's like this twisted tragic little slower little out of tune almost version of it. The music is definitely one of those things that I was not dialed into when I was watching this the first time, but watching it now it's like man, the music is working hand in hand with everything else to tell the story. You know, one of the other things that I noticed I don't know if you clocked this too. In the early episodes of the series, and you know the way we're watching this, like every collection of episodes, we get some from the early part of the series, yeah. and, and some from the middle, and some from the end. But the I've mix. No- hence the mixtapes. So and there you go. But I've noticed that a lot of the early episodes, like the first thirteen episodes or so, they utilize that full theme, you know, from the opening sequence, like a lot. And like you get yep. that full on yep. theme. And then as the series goes on, you, you know, maybe you just get like little pieces of it. There's definitely more variety, but they, um, usually when he makes a comeback, you yeah. hear like the, the music chime in. Yeah. Yep. I am. You know, while we're talking about, uh, the Lobo two-parter, I'm very curious to get your thoughts on the preserver because there's a lot of shades of brainiac there. Well, I mean, what was your take on, on the preserver? I guess my question is, and I'm sure there's a good answer for this, but why wasn't it Brainiac? I I I don't know. Right? I mean, it could have very easily been Brainiac instead of the the Preserver. Does the Preserver have some kind of comic importance that I don't know about? Not to my knowledge. I could be mistaken, though. So again, audience, yeah. if there's anything I'm not aware of, please let me know. But not, I mean, not to my knowledge. I mean, you know, the only thing I could think of is that as Brainiac has been established in this show, right? Unlike in the in the pre-crisis comics, right? He's not bottling cities and collecting them. He's collecting the knowledge of each planet and destroying the planet in its wake. So the preservers... Yep, no physical media. No physical media. <laughs> there you go. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, here the preservers' MO is definitely different, right? And he's clearly been at this for a while too. So I feel Mm -hmm. like it's the sort of thing, this would have been a big pivot for the character of Brainiac, I think, if they had slotted him in here. That's true. Had they, but, but like to your point, I mean, if they had, maybe there's a version of Brainiac they could have designed from the beginning who could have served, but would you have enjoyed this episode more if it had been Brainiac instead of the Preserver? Yes, I would enjoy every episode more. (laughs) You already know that. Number one Brainiac fan club over here, of course. Brainiac should have made Bizarro, don't you think? No, I'm just no, kidding. I don't. I thought about it though. You got me to think about it. I was like, well, I do love him now. That needs to be Luther because it just, oh boy, did that make me despise him even more. They they did their job on that one. But yeah, the preserver was one of those villains that just seems like he's there so he could serve his purpose and then get beaten up. Yes. Even with like his transformation into that giant red, I was like, okay, I've seen this boss fight in video games before. Like I, I know, I know how this is going to play out, but it, it served, it served its purpose. It served its purpose. And uh, it didn't get in the way of telling a good story with two interesting characters. I, I agree. I mean, I guess that's maybe what it comes down to. It's like, you know, m- more so than the more developed villains that we get on the show. I feel like the preserver was really just a means to an end. The preserver was mm-hmm. just a way to pit these characters against each other and then have them have to team up. And he served that the function well. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and I really, I did, you know, it's funny. We haven't talked about the Fortress of Solitude yet. And it doesn't get much play in Superman, the animated series. And I'm okay with that. Um, and what I actually liked here was uh, that, that again, you know, Superman rescues all of these, you know, the last, you know, of each species that the preserver has collected and sets up the zoo, you know, in, in the Arctic. Um, you know, when I read a bunch of Silver Age stories for an earlier episode of this podcast a while back, actually the, the episode, or no, I don't think it was the one that introduces the fortress. Um, but there was an episode, or an episode, I always do that, an issue uh, in the Silver Age where, you know, Superman has like a rare night off. There's nothing really going on in Metropolis. And so he's like, oh, this is great. Like I can go conduct experiments in the fortress. And it was one of those issues where I was just like, man, Silver Age Superman is not my Superman. Like the idea that that's how he would spend his time. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me either. Yeah. It just, I, at least not to my interpretation of the character. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. You know, it just doesn't ring true. So the way the fortress is used here, where it is this hideaway, he stores the orb and the, and the Kryptonian key, right? He has to keep them someplace safe. And then it becomes the home for this zoo. And, you know, that gives him a reason to go besides like, oh, I just need to get away. I like that. I feel like this, uh, again, really just struck a nice balance between preserving, you know, an iconic element of the mythology, but also making it fit with the more modern take on the character. Um, and especially this version of the character, he doesn't have, you know, like even in the modern comics, there's more Kryptonian tech and things like that, 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 that are in the fortress here. It's very stripped down. I feel like this, this fortress works nicely. I do too. And I think it serves its purpose well as that, physical connection to krypton because obviously he can't go to krypton anymore but i also agree that less is more i think what we get here is nice we kind of get the data the information the menagerie and the animals are a nice touch because it reminds us that he did something good and he has all these other creatures who are also the last of their kind uh which also kind of fun him and lobo having that in common i thought was a very very nice thread and connection to put on the two of them for vastly different reasons but I thought that was still an interesting connection that they are, quote unquote, as far as they know, the last of their kind. I thought that was a nice pairing. Um, and that kind of is like the, the driving impetus to that whole second part of the main man, right? That's why essentially the preserver also wants to capture Lobo. So that was a nice little thought process that went into that. Have you watched Superman Man of Tomorrow, the, the animated movie from just a couple of years ago? I have not. So going back to Justin DeVoe, he and I did a Patreon episode on that animated movie a little while back. And it was the first time I had, I had seen it was for our discussion. And it's yet another telling of the origin, which you and I have spent a lot of time on. And it's a perfectly serviceable origin story. Would it rank in my, you know, top five? No, probably not. But it's, it's, it's very solid. But one of the things that was really interesting about that animated movie was it really plays around with uh, with Superman, Lobo, and Martian Manhunter. This trifecta, each one being oh, the last of their kind. Because, yeah, he's also the last of his kind, yeah. Yeah, it was a nice angle that, um, again, I it's not necessarily something that I need or want in my Superman origin story, but look, for a different take on it, it was cool to sort of tie in Superman with the wider DCU and specifically these characters who all have the same thing in common. Like it was, it was kind of a, it was a cool little different take. I think you actually would enjoy it. Well, it's on the list. Put it on the list. So, you know, while we're talking about the fortress and learning about Krypton and going back to Krypton, it's a perfect segue back to Bizarro's world, right? Where he, yes. 
you know, learns about the, the Krypton that he is not from, um, but that he, you know, thinks he is. And he, so he tries to recreate Krypton on Earth by remodeling the downtown area, which, again, is hilarious. Tragic. Yes. It's heartbreaking, but I it's think, so funny. Bizarro is recreating. I mean, even on Bizarro World with all the stone people that he had and trying to save them and all that stuff, it just it just tickled me so much. Because it was it's so sad, but it also still is very, very funny. They strike a very nice balance again of uh of doing that. And it's just it's great too, because you get to like really see how Bizarro's mind works to an extent, right? like how he sees things like he sees Krypton or he sees Metropolis and then like what he creates kind of lets us, the viewers in on how he is seeing everything and how everything is being processed. So I, I think it works on a whole bunch of different levels. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and again, we got that great gag with him thinking the doorman is Jor-El. I yes. wonder, you know, for them writing this, what the genesis of that specific idea was like if, if, I don't know. Had that been a running gag in the writer's room? Like, man, our Jor-El really looks like a doorman. Or <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe they just looked at one of the earlier, the earlier episodes and, you know, maybe they were in Manhattan one day and just happened to see a doorman that was dressed like, Hey, that looks like it could be a Kryptonian. And, you know, maybe somebody made a fun little note. I love it. It's a great gag and it shows it's great because it shows that somebody was thinking as the show always does in continuity and in backwards as well, too, because if you had been watching from the beginning or at least had some familiarity, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that does kind of look like what Jorwell wears. Like you could at least understand how Bizarro would make that conclusion. So it's a yeah. it's a funny bit. Yeah, I know when he grabs him, he's like, Dada, it am your son, Kalel. Oh, it's it's <laughs> I and, you know, he does it again with the, the rock, the rock family that he has. Right. When he goes to the fortress, his fortress. Right. Yeah. Dada, mama. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like you just have to, like, Tim Daly just sounds like he was having so much fun yes. doing this. Yes. You know? He sure does. Which is something that, uh, you know, we, we've talked about in the context of, of Smallville, how, uh, you know, Tom Welling's Clark was, you know, very, especially in the later seasons, like, you know, he's pretty stoic and reserved. And, and in those instances where he got to play red kryptonite Clark or bizarro or, you know, any of the other variations, the evil doppelgangers, like he really seemed to come alive, you know, having the yeah. opportunity to do something like that. And, you know, you kind of get the it's same sense be, here. It's gotta be liberating. It really does question. It actually reminds me that you said that. So we do get that one little bit um, where kryptonite is like thrown near bizarro. Right. And he just kind of looks at it and holds it. But in some versions, I don't know if it's now the current definitive version of the character or not, but there was a version where green kryptonite made Bizarro stronger, right? Oh, yeah, I think so. I'm not 100% right, sure. I, I was wondering about that. Here we don't get that. Here it's just kryptonite doesn't affect him at all. So in Smallville, definitely it makes him stronger. I remember that vividly. I yeah. can't remember what how the comics have treated it. But, um, but yeah, and yeah. typically blue kryptonite... Yes, is like his weakness, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I thought that was just interesting when I saw him throw the kryptonite. I was like, oh yeah, there's a whole bunch of different ways that this has been handled over the course of the many interpretations of this character. So that was a little interesting note that went in my head that he just kind of shrugs it off and throws it. Yeah, yeah, when Superman shows up in that lead suit that we talked about last time. <laughs> that beautiful lead suit, you know? Which, speaking of the lead suit, in the Parasite Origin episode, Feeding Time, that's where the lead suit is introduced. Professor Hamilton, uh, you know, uh, bestows it to him. Uh, so that's where we, we get to see that come into play for the first time. But 
uh, yeah, you know, he tries using using the green kryptonite. It doesn't work. But, you know, he's ultimately able to reason with Bizarro sufficiently uh, long enough to be able to, you know, knock him out uh, with the with the gas and then get him to this this planet, which I, I thought was a really going back to the compassion, right, of the character. I thought it was a was a very generous, um, you know, outcome for Bizarro, right, that he gives him his yep. own, his own planet and it's uninhabited, but still. He, he almost to some degree treats him like a brother, right? Like a, like a misguided, maybe wayward brother. Uh, and, you know, because he does realize, and as we talked about, Lois has that great closing line about he comes from good stock. But maybe I, I would like to think that, that Superman does realize that he is a part of me. And Superman, who's often short on actual family, you know, that I would imagine maybe strikes even more of a chord with him as well too and uh it is really nice to see that i mean yeah, he gives him his own planet he's got his own crypto he sets up a nice little life for bizarro yeah which sadly will be undermined by mixius pitalik in the following episode but first we got to talk about mixius pitalik uh, same question with with bizarro i mean are you, are you a mixy fan generally where do you sort of land on the character outside of the show i suppose this is a cheat but again growing up in the 90s there are few voices in animation entrenched in all of our collective brains more than Guilford Godfrey, Godfrey, right? And uh, I, especially with Aladdin coming out. So first of all, just first and foremost, this, the voice, tremendous. Absolutely tremendous stuff. Now that I've said that in terms of the character, I think it's been interesting, right? Because we, we've talked about it uh, briefly, I believe, when we were talking about some of the newer um, kind of iterations of that character, that there really is a spectrum. And I guess it kind of goes across the timeline where it was played you know more campy and more silly and more funny but there are also versions of this character that have much more of a sinister and threatening edge that have huge consequences uh to to the character's actions here i thought they definitely i don't necessarily know they hit a perfect balance i definitely think it was more a lot of the ha-has and the laughs we did get to see some of the menace the most menace i feel like i saw is when to be honest with you, is when he's with Clark's parents, where I was like, oh, this is very uncomfortable. He's turning his parents in front of him, I mean his parents, but in front of him into various different animals and creatures. And I was like, this is really messed up. So I, I think for that character to really be effective for me, and I'd say overall, I was pretty pleased with the character uh, in the show. There does have to be that mix of, yeah, he's, he's zany and funny and campy, but also like, uh, he's a, one of the most powerful characters Superman's ever going to come up against. It's some real horrific power set as well, too, with this whole reality manipulation. He's turning the staff of the Daily Planet into animals. And this is one of those things that, like, looks funny in a cartoon. But if you put yourself in a real-life scenario, it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. Yeah, maybe there's like a really great, you know, uh, you know, really like horror tinged Superman story that can be done with Mixie. I, you know, you know, again, I, I, I think I made a decent case for Bizarro as, as a villain. I don't feel all that strongly about Mixius Pitalik. Um, I yep. very much like this iteration largely for the vocal performance that, and, and yep. again, going back to watching it as a kid, I mean, that's just like so ingrained in me as, as that's what the character mm -hmm. sounds like, I, you know, as far as the more menacing Mixius Pitalik, I guess the, the biggest and best example that comes to my mind is whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, 
uh, where, you know, spoiler alert, if anyone hasn't seen it, you know, he turns out to be the ultimate villain and, uh, you know, has decided to, uh, to menace Superman rather than, you know, just sort of, uh, you know, toy with him after all this time. Is that when he reveals his identity to Toy Man, yep. and prankster? Yep. And then he sh- they shoot him up to reveal that he's Superman. Or- yeah. 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 That's the, mm-hmm. the classic Pretty final final yeah. pre-crisis story, and you know Superman effectively kills Mixie in that story. Right. He uses the Phantom Zone projector on him, knowing that Mixie's Pitalik will try to return to his home diven- dimension in that moment, and it tears him apart and kills him. And this was Superman's intention. And so he uses gold kryptonite on himself to re- remove his powers. He is no longer worthy of being Superman. I mean, it's the end of the pre-crisis ca- version of the character. Um, and I, I dug that. I thought that was a cool twist on the character, and it's surprising in the context of that story. Otherwise, I've never really found the character to be all that compelling. I mean, I talked in our last episode about how, again, magic you know, being a, a weakness of Superman and, and Superman being placed in those scenarios is just not... It just doesn't do much for me. Like I, I don't. It's not. I don't have like that much of an objection to it, but it just doesn't do much for me. All that. Be- I, yeah. I was. I. I like it. I. You know. I'm definitely much more um, accepting. I think of the magic super uh, situation Superman is in. But even Mister uh, Mister Pitalik is a little bit of a bridge too far. I think as well too because he just gets so. I mean, he comes from the fourth dimension. The whole fourth wall connection. I'm sure is intentional. As oh, well fifth dimension. Too. It just. Oh, excuse me, fifth dimension. So he's not even breaking the fourth wall. He's breaking the fifth wall. That's how that's how out of uh out of the box he is, you know? It just becomes a little bit too much, even for me, who is more pro magic, I think. Um, so I, I agree with you on that. It just it becomes a lot. So like a little bit of him goes a long way. And that sounds like I'm making fun of his height, but I promise <laughs> you I'm not. Well, so so two things. you know, again, Mixie's not my favorite character, but I think if he can be used I think this show makes just about the best use of him that I've seen because yeah. it is, in my opinion, at least genuinely funny. Uh, like that, the Mixus pixelated episode is genuinely funny and it challenges Superman in a different way, right? And going back to what we've been saying over all these episodes and the reasons we've selected the ones we have and we've spoken so highly of, of certain ones and maybe less so of others, I think a lot of times comes down to what it what the episode, you know, reveals about Superman or, 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 you know, allows him to show or do that's different than we might have seen. And so, you know, with that first Mixie episode, it's like he's challenged in a different way and he has to outsmart Mixie and trick him and be more clever. We love that. Both of us love that aspect of Clark, right? Showing his brains and his intelligence. I, and you knew I would, I absolutely love it. I absolutely loved it. This time I'm going to get him. There's no way. And uh, it's just, again, a great showcase for his intelligence. And that, I think, is where that character is probably used best, right? As how we're looking at Superman through him is that Superman can't beat him physically. So it is one of those characters where he has to showcase his cleverness and his preparedness and all those other skills that, you know, I'm a broken record at this point, talking about how I love that aspect of the character of Clark. And it doesn't get nearly enough... uh, enough outward uh, attention and respect. So I think that's when he's used best and sparingly. Yes. And on that note, that was what I loved about little big head man, which was that, you know, it was a bizarro and mixy story. And that's, you know, you get to see a lot more of that 
later in the series of, of Superman. And we've already talked about, you know, certain instances of this, like just as an example, you know, nighttime, right? This whole episode about, you know, Superman trying to find out where Batman is. And it's like, oh, surprise, Brainiac has him. You know, yep. and, you know, you see other instances, you know, Metallo in Superman's Pal is, is another example of this, um, where they're not, you know, the the tussle with the villain, it's not like, oh, it's a Metallo episode or it's a Brainiac episode. You know, the episode is about Jimmy Olsen. The episode is about Superman and Robin in the world of Gotham. And these villains happen to be there. And when you, I guess, you know, it's a testament to what the show, the foundation the show was able to build and what they were able to build too. Like you got to that point where you can do episodes like that. And that's really cool. And so I love, especially like late in the series when we have stuff like that. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's more surprising and it just kind of mixes up the formula because otherwise you kind of know all the beats that the story is going to hit if it's a Parasite episode. But if Parasite or another character just sort of happens to pop up in one of these other stories, you don't know exactly how it's going to go. And I like that. Again, the masters of long form storytelling, and they are rewarding longtime viewers and those who are paying attention by having these team ups and having these stories converge and not just converging for the sake of converging, but in logical ways that I think benefit all the characters that are involved in that particular episode, which is the case of uh, of this one here. Um, also, I'd like to throw this out here, too. Miss, Miss, Mrs. Misapitilated, you have to remind me of her name in, in, in that episode. Um his his oh, yeah. wife friend yeah who boy again talk about things that wouldn't fly today probably in a children's show where she's just like trying on all those different skimpy outfits to like get his attention and yeah. all this stuff and it's like very aggressive i was like boy this is really you know it, it's in our lifetime but it is of a different era in a way isn't it it's it's true i mean it's I, yeah, and I don't, you know, it's funny because it's like, I don't know, someone watching it now for the first for the first time, I don't know what their reaction would be, you know, for, for myself, I, you know, I guess because I've seen the episodes before and I'm kind of used to it, but it's like, yeah, it definitely takes you out of it for a second. It's not, I don't know, it's not like so over the top where it's like, oh my God, but it definitely, you definitely clock right, it for right. sure. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they don't step over the line, but they definitely start walking closer to it is, is how I would put it. I have to say for the, the Mixius pixelated episode, you know, written by Paul Dini and he's, I mean, it's, it's genuinely funny. This is just a, a tiny, tiny note, but worth mentioning. We see Superman shaving in that episode, bouncing the heat vision off of the, mm. the, the, the mirror. Um, again, I'll bring up Smallville once again. It's astounding to me that Smallville ran 10 years, a decade, and we never saw Clark Kent shave once especially during that time period where it's like such a growing up formative thing right where like oh i have to learn how to shave like you think that would be such a natural beat in clark's own kryptonian way to have to learn how to shave that could be just like a fun little montage or something of itself yeah i mean that's that's astonishing actually and it's not like you know smallville we're on now in the streaming world and there's only, you know, 10 episodes for three seasons and it's like, oh, we didn't have time for it. It did over 200 episodes. You're telling me there was not room for like one cold open of the show. Didn't even need to be in the main episode, just pre-credits, just a scene mm -hmm. where like he's figuring out how to do this. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's baffling to me. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I was, so I appreciated that we got to see that. I also really liked that, um, 
again, it was genuinely humorous, but I really appreciated how Paul Dini, you know, kind of threw out the typical formula of the episode, right? I mean, the whole thing with Mixie is, you know, once he says his name backwards, he's banished for three months. And so we, we go through like a year over the course of the show. Yeah, Huge (laughs) amount of time. And a fun fact, the day that he returns is my birthday. Ah, very nice. May 22nd. I was like, oh, Anthony must have pulled some strings and set this up for me. What a nice birthday present to have him come back. Well, it wasn't originally that, but I was able to get in touch with someone at HBO Max and they were able to kind of just like slip that in because I was like, hey, my buddy's going to be streaming this. Like, is there any way you can just kind of get that in there? And they were very accommodating. So we appreciate that. What a guy. (laughs) What a friend I have here, folks. You know, come on. That's love right there. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I really, like I said, I really liked how it it played again with that typical format and formula and you see superman consistently outwitting him and i think one of my favorite bits was that extended sequence you know it was a long walk as they say in comedy it was a long walk but it was worth it where this extended sequence where you see mixie like building this <laughs> this huge contraption to go fight yes. superman and you never see superman's side of it you see mixie go and come back in seconds and i thought that was such a great a great choice such a great choice. It's funnier that way. Just having him come right back. And I believe the first thing he says is don't say a word or not a word. Right. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's again, they, um, I think we got just enough of that character. Any more of that character. I'd be worried. He might've overstayed his welcome a little bit, but it's just these two episodes, right? He's got his own one and then he's got the little, uh, big head man, yeah. uh, episode as well too. So I thought that was plenty. I thought that was plenty. Well, you know, that's another thing that stood out to me. And I I guess maybe it's not so shocking when you consider, you know, the show ran 54 episodes, which is a decent amount in terms of animation, but it's not, it's not, you know, it's not a hundred episodes, but you know, especially the way we've been carving this up, it's like, there are two Toy Man episodes, (laughs) you know, it's like there, I mean, we left off one Parasite episode, the one where he teams up with Livewire, but you know, even that, so three Parasite episodes, you know, you know, all these like. You know, it's like there's not really all that much. You're talking about two or three episodes for each of these these characters. Um, so, and I don't know, I guess in my head, like looking back on it, maybe I, maybe some of these characters felt like they loomed larger in the series to me. I, I, you know, maybe as a kid or, with, you know, through the the lens of, of looking back, it, it just felt like they had larger presences. But like you look at it now and it's like, yeah, it's a couple episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, again, I mean, that's a testament to the show as well, too, right? They're able to tell these larger than life, impactful stories that stay with you in a quick, what is now, you know, 20 to 21 minutes without commercials, right? Yeah. Uh, and yes, um, and little big head man. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to say about that one specifically? No, I, I think, again, it was a smart, long form storytelling. I think it was a nice kind of final nod to both of those characters as well, too. I think it was a fitting punishment that uh, <laughs> he gets stuck on Bizarro's uh, world, having to serve out his community service uh, for doing good deeds over there with them. It was it was fun. It was a, a, a fun ending, ending and a, a fitting ending. I liked how they converge. I still think far and away Bizarro is the stronger character. Well, yeah. like far, far, far and away when comparing the two, but I think yeah, it was perfectly fine and it was good fun overall. Yes. I mean, I, yeah, it was interesting to pair them up the way that they did, I, but I guess it makes sense because, I mean, the like we've said, there is definitely that strong element of, of tragedy and heartbreak when you're talking about the character of Bizarro, but there there is humor. And so when you look at, again, categories of episodes, I think the Bizarro ones and the, and the mixy ones you know, and, and nighttime, I guess we're like the funniest mm-hmm. episodes of the yes. show. 
so it made sense to do that but uh yeah i think i think you're right a little bit of mixy goes a long way i'm i'm okay with the fact that we didn't get yet another yeah another mixy episode uh although i'm sure paul dini could have come up with something else i mean that that's the thing like i'm this this depiction won me over enough where I would be like I'd be open to seeing uh, you know sure. a, a, another take, but I think it it worked fine for for what it was. I agree. I definitely agree. So we still got to talk about uh, Maxima, but uh, let's. I want to jump to Toy Man and Parasite. What were your your general takes on on those characters and, and episodes? I think that going in. Hearing Toy Man and Parasite, my bar was so low that both of them overachieved <laughs> in these episodes. That might not sound like the ringing endorsement as it actually is, though. I thought both of these episodes were fine. I thought they were okay. I don't think they were bad. Um, I still, well, I liked two strong things about both of these, both of these characters, and we kind of hit on this a little bit. I. If I had to choose, I think I preferred Toy Man over Parasite, just because they really hit that creepiness and an obsession, uh, especially, right? That just creepy, creepy, just a voyeuristic, just very unsettling version of Toy Man. And we got to see Lana Lang again, too. How about that? Totally. Which was kind of fun. Totally for forgot she was in that. <laughs> yep, yeah, me too. Totally. We're two for two with Lobo and Lana both popping up again. I was like, well, look at that. They got us. Um, so that was a nice little nod also, which I think pushes that episode a little further up for me as well. But just the whole the whole story that's being told there, again, about thinking you're one thing, but then realizing you're something else, I think is also a nice story in that as well, too. And the idea of control and free will. And if you think about it, there are some like surprisingly heavy themes uh, at work in that Toy Man episode. Yeah, the, you know, the Toy Man stuff is interesting like that's another character i mean toy man and parasite both um i've never i certainly never had a great attachment to and wouldn't really hold up as great superman villains funny enough the going back to the jeff Loeb era of the comics you know probably the best parasite story i read and there were some things that were a little wonky that i think kind of maybe needed a greater explanation or didn't totally come together but it was still an interesting premise and you know it's a 20 plus year old story so forgive me for spoiling it but there's this whole run of issues where lois and clark are having marital strife and and lois is just really kind of had it with clark and it somewhat comes out of nowhere you know there there are a couple of little things here and there that might account for it but it really just sort of feels like whoa what's going on with lois and we ultimately find out that uh, she's been kidnapped and replaced by Parasite. Like he's actually shapeshifted and 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 taken over and um, is is living her life. And it sort of becomes one of these things. Like, well, what is the ultimate end game here? Because it goes on for so long. Like, like I said, there were some things that didn't totally track. There but... are some very unpleasant ramifications to that. I'll just leave it at that. Is what I'll do. <laughs> but. But at the same time, it was sort of, I remember reading it initially and I was like, I was surprised. Like I was genuinely surprised. Um, yeah, it's quite a twist. It was a twist. And I was like, well, that's a different, I've yeah. not seen the character used in that way. So I thought that was interesting. Other than that, I, I'm kind of hard pressed to really hold up any great parasite stories. Um, here, and, and I did, re I didn't assign this to you, but I did rewatch Feeding Time, the, the origin of Parasite in the show. Mm -hmm. And you know, he starts off as a janitor at Star Labs and 
he has a gambling debt and this criminal has you know basically paid off the debt and in exchange Rudy has to help him steal these chemicals from Star Labs and that's basically all we get as far as insight into his character like he has a gambling debt and someone paid it off for him and he owes him uh, and as they're mm-hmm. trying to make their getaway from Star Labs, you know, the the other guy even says, like, you know, you little parasite, like, this is the last time, you know, I'll, I'll let you bring me down or whatever. And, I, you know, and then he, of course, is doused in the chemicals and he becomes parasite and, and, and then just craves this power. But it's like, I don't know how compelling that is necessarily. Like, maybe there would have been a way to sort of set up the character in a way where you you felt for him more or you more identified with why he would misuse his new abilities in this way. Like, it just all felt very superficial. I, I agree. I agree with that assessment. And we get, I think, maybe even a better look when uh, when we, we look at the follow-up episode that we watched, right? Which also has a performance by one of my favorites brian cox as earl oh. in that uh that episode which is super cool as soon as i heard that voice i was like that's brian cox it has to be uh also who some of you might remember from uh i mean a million different things including secession uh and super troopers but perhaps most relatably the x-men movies as well too so brian cox has a a very a very high comic pedigree which is, uh, might surprise some people but um I thought that episode, at least, I thought was interesting because they had Earl, Rudy to play off of Earl. Mm-hmm. Rudy being Parasite, for those of you who might not be on a first-name basis with Parasite, you're forgiven. But uh, Rudy kind of being – they kind of touched on that same element where it was like with Maxima or with Lobo where like they had to team up with an enemy. And it kind of made him more sympathetic at least because you saw that he was kind of getting tricked. Kind of like Mixie, a little bit to a, a little less of an extent, right? Kind of getting tricked and kind of pressured into this situation. That being said, it made me feel for him a little bit more, but it also didn't make me understand his motives, really, or care about his character particularly too much because we just don't get, like you said, there wasn't that strong foundation that made me care about who the character is, right? Because even our villains, our, antagon- our antagonists, I should say, especially our antagonists, there has to be something in there that's interesting, relatable, and that we care about. It has to be true of all characters. Well, no matter what their alignment might be, good, evil, or somewhere in the middle. Uh, and I just, we didn't really get that with Rudy or Parasite, I felt like. Agreed. And, you know, going back to some other depictions of Parasite, I mentioned before that Superman, Man of Tomorrow animated movie. Parasite's actually, like, the, the final boss of that movie, as it were. And... That take on Parasite, I actually, I, I, I did like Clark meets Rudy, and I think he is also a janitor at Star Labs in that iteration, but he's, he's a veteran, and he's like a good guy. Like, there's clearly this, uh, you know, this, this foundation of, of goodness in the character, such that you feel for him when he becomes this monster. Conversely, in, I believe it's Jeff Johns, you know, he did the secret origin, Superman's secret origin retelling of, of the origin story, which I guess you and I, we, you and I did touch on when we did that other discussion. We, did. we certainly did. And if memory serves Parasite there, you know, Rudy is introduced as basically a leech of a, of a person, right? Like taking yep. as much as he can get. So it's one of those yep. things like, okay, so then that aspect of his personality is amplified when he becomes that. It's, you know, not the most nuanced, but it works. It tracks. It's- some yes, it's some continuity for the character, and it's what they become. Yeah, 
Whereas this version of Rudy, I just, it felt like it was just sort of somewhere in between. Like you didn't really feel enough for the character such that, you know, your, you know, your heart doesn't really go out to Rudy necessarily, nor are you just, nor are you really like, oh, all right, I'm along for the ride. Like I get who this guy is and this is what he's going to be now. It was just sort of like this nebulous in between. At least that was my take on this character. He's relatively inconsequential is unfortunately, you know, what, how how he's presented. I don't think that's intentionally, but yeah, you know, there's nothing to be like, oh, he's reprehensible or he's super, you know, even with a power set like that, it's interesting. It really is interesting, but it's so difficult over any period of time to sustain, I think, a power set where you're copying other characters' powers. Uh, with all due respect to Rogue, of course, uh, on the on the Marvel side of, of things as well, too. It just, it becomes, it becomes that ability, I feel like, overtakes sometimes. That becomes his whole shtick. And I feel like so much focus is on Parasite's powers that we don't really get to understand Rudy more. And I wish a little less time was spent on kind of him as Parasite in his powers and more of him just as Rudy, as a person. So we have that awesome bedrock and foundation. So when this transformation does happen, either we care or we're horrified or we feel something just something strong. And I don't feel anything particularly strong about Rudy or Parasite. That's the thing. It's like your heart breaks for Bizarro in those episodes. And even Toy Man, as creepy as he is, and we'll circle back to Toy Man, but it's like you find out why he's doing this. And, you know, you, you don't, uh, you're not necessarily on his side, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I understand why this, why this person is doing this. Uh, so yeah, I felt like, like I said, just kind of superficial is the word I come back to with Rudy. I felt like they didn't, do the justice to the character that they did for like virtually everyone else on the show. So I think that one kind of missed the mark. I will say in feeding time, the episode that introduces him, two things that I really, I did like, well, one, I really liked the other one. I felt like kind of went nowhere, but what I liked was uh, Jimmy Olsen rescues Superman when Superman mm -hmm. has been taken by parasite and chained up to be drained every 12 hours. And that is referenced in the Superman's Pal episode that you and I already discussed, right? The fact that he had helped Superman against Parasite. Yeah. Um, so that was, I, so I like that a lot. You know, again, Jimmy, as we talked about, Jimmy doesn't get a ton of play in the series. He gets his own spotlight no. episode. But other than that, it's a very, very supporting role. It's like a notch above Parasite. Yeah. He doesn't have a ton to do. That's true. Uh, so that was really cool. The other thing was that, you know, we Parasite drains Superman's, uh, powers, but also takes his memories as well and learns that Superman is actually Clark Kent. And, uh, you know, that opens up a whole new threat and a whole new pocket. But, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of, of feeding time, Superman, you know, hides in his lead suit and, uh, you know, Rudy goes to punch him and Superman dodges and, and Rudy punches through the wall and, and, and grabs kryptonite. And that just like fries him. And at the end of the episode, he's sitting in his cell and he looks like he's catatonic. And then the little spider, you know, crawls near him and he's able to get a little bit of a jolt and we see a smile oh, on his geez. face. But it's one of those things where it's like, I guess we are to just assume that the memory of Superman's secret identity faded, you know, when the, when the effects wore off and, or when he was in this catatonic state. But I don't know if that's something that could have made things, you know, a little bit more interesting. That, that makes him an infinitely interesting threat in a way that his power set or anything else i think could not i agree completely with having that knowledge of his of that he is in fact clark 
would make that and that that should have been the crux and the hook i think going forward maybe and trying to find a, a resolution for that that isn't just a oh well he for, must have forgotten in the coma you know make it something more where superman has to really figure out a tangible way out of this situation yeah exactly and then the the two's a crowd episode um that i thought that was a very clever premise right yeah. where you know we yeah. have we have this uh you know this uh, you know this person earl right who's planted a bomb and they don't know where it is and they have to have rudy basically enter his mind in order to try to get the information uh, very very interesting um i thought that was a cool i thought that was a cool premise a solid episode i thought so too i thought so so i definitely like that one more um i think than i thought i was going to when i heard parasite but i think a lot of that is because of the the dynamic between Earl and Rudy and kind of how it all plays out. And we do get a few moments where Rudy is trying to do, I don't even know if it's the right thing or he's just trying to save his own skin, but there is at least a sense of, in. this is going to sound like a bad pun for this episode, but internal conflict that's uh, on display there at least. Yeah, but that was, again, that was, I, I appreciated that that was a different, uh, you know, the premise I thought was 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 pretty interesting there. Uh, so going back to the Toy Man episodes, again, same preliminary question. How do you feel about the character of Toy Man generally, if at indifferent. all? <laughs> different. <laughs> yeah, completely indifferent. This is probably the most I've ever cared about Toy Man, uh, watching, watching this episode. No great or huge connection. I know there's been a whole different, there's been three or four different iterations of Toy Man over the the long run of of dc comics uh if i'm not mistaken including one that actually might have been in that low run as well too that was more of a protagonist that would would help out from from time to time right if i'm not mistaken but um yeah i was indifferent i was and i think that indifference kind of worked in my favor in a way going into this episode because like i said my bar was not very high and i i thought toy man was definitely the stronger of uh, the two between him and Parasite, certainly. It really, that creepy horror aspect of seeing things that should spark joy, but instead spark terror, violence, and fear is at least an interesting enough hook where I can appreciate going along for that ride. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm with you overall. I've never I've never been a huge fan of the, the more nuisance villains like toy man and prankster and i guess makes his piddle to to a large extent yeah yes you know um there i i know that iteration of toy man you're referring to hero i believe was his name and uh he was introduced in the in the superman batman or no actually in the superman run before superman batman then he came back for that and he was this young japanese inventor and yeah like that was a really cool alternate take on toy man yeah i would say you know, the, I guess the Toy Man stories that were depictions that stand out, uh, you know, as always, I go back to Smallville, but they actually, in seasons nine and 10, I don't know how, how well you recall, but they, they introduced a Toy Man. It was a solid, it was like a really solid take on Toy Man. I, I enjoyed that version probably more than almost any other. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. I think it's interesting, right? Because if our, our favorite interpretations of a character sometimes are from mediums that aren't in comics it makes me wonder sometimes too about what why that is and maybe it's just because we don't have you know to me when i think of toy man i think of that to me that's such like a golden age villain right to me that's like such an idea and a concept from another time and i know you could update it but i think it's just it's a harder sell up front for a character like that at least for people our age maybe i'm wrong Maybe I'm mistaken, and it all depends on the writers, but I think they do a a good job, and we've talked about before the setting of Metropolis kind of being this, 
in the animated series, of course, being this kind of nice mix of retro and future. And I think that helps a lot with the aesthetic of Toy Man, because you do kind of get that retro futuristic, because that's what Toy Man is, essentially, right? Just like Metropolis in the show, retro and futuristic. Toy Man himself is both retro and futuristic. He looks essentially like a wooden marionette, you know, uh, doll or a a ventriloquist dummy, maybe even, right? That you would see walking around. looks very much like a product from the 1940s or 1950s. But compiling all this incredible state-of-the-art technology, and, you know, he has all this stuff, but then we'll hide it inside a giant kangaroo. <laughs> you know? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's silly, but I do think that what helps it, aside from the, the horror aspect that we're seeing here, is that it does fit the aesthetic of Metropolis, this version of Metropolis, very well. Oh, that's a really that's a really cool take on on that aspect of it. I, I I appreciate that. It's you know it's it's funny to think about where Toy Man was in the comics at the time. I I don't know if you're familiar with this, and I don't mean to spoil it if you're not. But they had taken it's about when he was out there kid, kidnapping a bunch of children with Cat Grant, and he he spoiler yeah. alert he yes. kills yes. Cat Grant's son. You know what's funny, Anthony? We're uh, on the same way after i watched that episode i stopped and i looked that up because i was like wait isn't there like a really horrible like arc with toy man and that's yeah i read that and i was like oh man maybe that was even too much for me but it made my stomach turn a little bit even just reading that and uh you know, remembering all of that you know and i'm going to be covering that when i do my sequel to crisis till death later this year on the podcast we're going to do death till wedding and we'll be covering years 94, 95, and 96 in that triangle era. And right towards the top of that <laughs> um, is, is that story where he, he abducts and kills Cat Grant's son. I mean, I remember reading that as a kid when it came out and being like, what the hell? Yeah, like what is going – doesn't he even say to him – correct me if I'm wrong, and I know we're going into the weeds here a little bit. Doesn't he even say to Cat Grant, like, I'm glad I killed him. You were a bad mommy. Yeah, I believe so. What on earth, man? Like, it's like they took a cute, it's like, so again, to bring it back to the animated series here, they split the difference here by having this be horror, but still campy. But I feel like the golden age is too campy. And then that to me is just like something that I think is even a bridge too far, even for me to be perfectly honest with you. So it's like, we're getting these horrible extremes here. And I think I liked that the animated series kind of settled on something more in the middle-ish, but my goodness. I, you know, I your point is well taken. I think the animated series probably did strike the right balance. I mean, you know, and again, I have not reread that comic story. I will shortly, but I haven't in, in decades. So I don't know how I'm going to feel upon rewatch, other than, especially as a parent now, I, I know it's going to make me even sicker than it did the first time, reading it as a kid myself. But, you know, you kind of, and I don't know, it might be easy to chalk that up to. It's like, oh, the 90s and, you know, they're trying to make everything, you know, uh, you know violent and dark. Whoa, but, whoa. Lobo. But at the same time, I don't know if you are trying to update the character of Toy Man. I, I guess I understand why you might go in that direction. Interestingly, going back to Jeff Johns, and I know I kind of have a tone every time I bring it up. I, while there are Jeff Johns runs on other characters, I've enjoyed a lot. I have certain fundamental issues with his take on Superman, and I'll get into that more down the line. But one of the things he did, I don't know if you remember this issue, um, when he was writing action comics, but basically retconned all of that away and established that like toy man had these androids that were out there 
and one of the androids malfunctioned and was the one that killed Cat Grant. So it wasn't actually Toy Man. And that's why and that's why he thought he was talking to Mother, right? Because it was the other Toy Man trying to commute with him, and that was the voice in his head. I do remember all of this. Yeah, yeah. And again, that seems like a lot of work and explanation to try to retcon something. So yeah, I, I can understand your grievances with that. Yeah, but in any event, but I have to say this: we're we're here we're here having a very spirited conversation about Toy Man. So maybe they did achieve something in that respect, if nothing else, right? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. But I mean, so that's the thing, you know, again, I really, I dug the the Smallville take on him. I like the actor, I thought, and I thought they, they did a nice job of bringing the character to life. That, you know, Dan Jurgen's story from the early 90s really made an impression one way or the other. Sure. And, then, and then there's this, uh, which, like I said at the top, I don't remember being as unnerved by Toy Man as a kid as I was now. You know, it's a combination, again, of that, of the of the smile, that creepy voice, and, and, and you know, and certainly the actions. I mean, in, in Fun and Games, his introductory episode, you know, he kidnaps Lois to tell her his story. And, you know, she's knocked unconscious with the gas or something like that in her apartment while she's wearing a bathrobe. And when she wakes, she's been dressed as a doll. So it's like this little creep dressed her in that way. So it's yep. like, you know, you don't think yep. about the in-between. As a kid, I guess you don't think so much about the in-between, but watching it now, it's like, oh, man, this is sick. Serious violation. Yeah, it's terrible, man. Terrible. It makes your skin crawl. Yeah, and then again, all this stuff with Darcy, you know, you know, creating this, you know, yeah. android uh, to, to keep him company. Uh, yeah, just a high creepiness, but... In contrast to Parasite, I did appreciate the origin story that we got for him in Fun and Games. You know, he creates this storybook that he reads to Lois um, that recounts his family history, that his father was this toy inventor who was used and manipulated by Bruno Mannheim of Intergang fame uh, to create this, you know, a, a toy factory that would was a front uh, for intergang, intergang activities, which was straight out of the comics from the early 90s, which I recently reread. So I was like, oh, like that, you just saw that. So that was a, a fun little connection. Uh, so, you know, his motivation is valid and, and compelling. So I, I did appreciate that aspect of it. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought overall, again, it overachieved. I'd say the episode overachieved uh, from what I was expecting, which might not have been much, but it really did kind of that that unnerving creepiness, uh, creeping horror vibe I thought was uh, was good of. And we got to see Lana again, <laughs> like I mentioned, which was, which was nice as well. Yeah, Lana. You know, when Darcy... Uh, like says she's going to go after Toy Man or whatever it is. It's like if if Lana had only waited until Darcy left, I I, I don't know that yeah. it would have been such of an such an issue. But like she had to call nine one one while Darcy was still yeah. there. Also, I was just like, just let her go fight Toy Man. That sounds like yeah. I was thinking that too. Like just let her go do her thing. Tell Superman like as soon as she's gone. If you need to, yeah, forget about nine one one. Just tell tell Clark what's going on. You know. You know what's interesting about Toy Man, and I never. I guess put my finger on it until this rewatch. And I even looked it up just to confirm on uh, like the DCAU wiki. We never see Winslow shots face. Like we never see him. We never see the actual person, which was interesting over the course of Superman yeah. and justice league and unlimited. Like you never actually see him. It's a good choice. It's an interesting choice, right? Kind of dehumanizes him further in that way. Oh, I like that aspect. Um, you know, I gotta be honest as a kid, I think it was always a little unclear to me and to be perfectly honest, and I hope I don't sound like an idiot, but even as an adult, it's like, are, are, is it was the intention that Winslow is in that suit 
as, as far as I can surmise, yes. All right. I think. I mean, or maybe it's like a, he had those like grafted onto him, maybe like a um a doll maker type situation, which also has its dalliances with that character as well too. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I looked at it, right? Yeah. The show was never built for this. Like, there's no way that this would work. I recognize that, but I couldn't help but think. Like once, once I had this idea in my head of like, we never see who he is. It just got me thinking. And it's like, it would have been interesting if like it, he is eventually unmasked at some point and it's someone we know, like someone we've seen, you know, that would be interesting. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, even just height wise, I, I don't know that anyone works. Jimmy, maybe that would be, <laughs> that would be right. <laughs> or have him be an Android. Right. And that somebody else is controlling him. That's the old MacGuffin, the old way out. Right. Yeah. But I, again, like I said, there's no way that the show that would work in the context of the show. But uh, I, I just couldn't help but think like, oh, what a twist if there was some way to, to work that in, you know, because yeah. otherwise it's like, why not ever show him? But I guess to your point of dehumanizing, I, I do like that aspect. Yeah, yeah, because uh, there has to be at least some level, I would hope, of like shame within that character, right? Where he wants to be hidden and withdrawn and hides behind his toys. And that's literally what he's doing on the battlefield and how he lives his life. But it's also his presentation. He's literally hiding behind a toy. I like that. I think that's a perfectly valid take, and I think that works. All right, my friend, we're down to our final episode on our list here. Let's, let's do it. Is is Maxima a character who who would would play in today's climate? Like this? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a little bit backwards that her whole premise is I need to get married. I need to get married, um, which I think is a bit a bit off putting as well too. Uh, for first and foremost, I was kind of like, okay, like I get that gets supposed to be from like a warrior plan and everything like that, but uh, the I didn't love this episode. I didn't love this episode. I thought we get there towards the end of this episode where there's some nice moments where Maxima kind of has a turnaround a little bit for her character, uh, which is really, really, really nice. But overall, I just was like, I was kind of rolling my eyes a little bit, if I'm being honest, being like, I need a mate. Can nobody, can nobody best me? Oh, there's this one. It was a little just, it was a archaic. It played a little archaic to me. Uh, you know, I had, I had the same take. And like I said, I was, you know, I was just thinking about that. I'm like, because, you know, the most recently in terms of, you know, it's funny. I actually don't know offhand the last time she's appeared in a comic. Um, but as far as depictions, you know, she was in the, one of the final seasons of Smallville. They did a take on her. That was very much in line, you know, with this, but you know, CW wise, but the same idea. And yeah, so I was thinking like, I, you know, this wouldn't play. And it's like, I appreciate the fact that they make her this badass warrior queen, you know, to invoke the title yeah. of the episode. Like you definitely see her strength and her competence, but the fact that her sole motivating factor seems to be, not even to find love, but to, you know, to find a, a, a mate, a husband. Yeah, right, right. I think archaic is, is the best word. The The thing about it, though, that I, I just feel is a missed opportunity is if she weren't portrayed as, you know, man crazy as she is, uh, you know, it would be interesting to see is she someone Superman might actually be interested in? Like, could something actually develop between them? I mean, because she's someone who, you know, could live in his world and could stand toe to toe with him and he doesn't have to worry about her getting hurt. Like there's, I mean, not unlike, you know, arguments that one might wake, might, might make for Superman and Wonder Woman, you know, for example, but uh, you know, like there might, there might be something kind of, you know, more meaningful and interesting to explore. Like, I feel like this becomes very one note 
joke, really. Yeah. Now, I, I, and again, we're Monday, Monday morning quarterbacking here, but I think it's just, it would be great if she was just like, I need to prove that I'm the strongest warrior and that my people are the strongest. Nobody can best me in combat. And then they just kind of use that as the hook at least. So it's not just based on, I need a mate, I need a mate, I need a mate. And then maybe through their fighting, she, there is like a kind of mutual respect and maybe even an attraction that's a little bit more reciprocal. Maybe just like a hint of something for interest as well, but I think would be a better way to approach that. Yeah. Yeah. And look, in fairness, I mean, their take on the character on the show was was true to the comic. So it's, you know, it's probably asking too much yeah. for them to like spin it in a completely different direction. You know, in the in the comic, she eventually becomes a member of the Justice League during that the period yep. of death of Superman. Uh, but you know, it's funny, as much as I've now read that entire period, I've not read the Ju- the Dan Jurgens Justice League run. Uh, I, I, might, I might go back to that at some point. But at that point in the comics, I mean, Cl- Lois and Clark were together. So to my knowledge, I don't believe that they ever played at like a genuine romance between them. I don't mm-hmm. think. Uh, but again, it just seems like, you know, that could have been a more interesting way to go and something that they could have gotten more mileage out of. Because again, with this, you know, really only so, you know, so many places you can go with it. But you know, like I said before, I did like that, you know, they start off battling uh, and we get the nosy neighbors who are watching and, you know, you get that. That, that little, was a funny little bit. You know, what planet is he from when he's talking about like how the marriage is about love and understanding and sacrifice? It was a cute bit. It was a cute bit. You know, it's, it's funny though. Superman in that episode to me came off as a bit of a fuddy duddy. It's like he has this whole speech about what marriage is like. And then when he's on, sure. on Almorak, he's like a leader is, you know, a leader serves the people, not the other way around. It's like, he's got all these platitudes in this, in this episode, mm-hmm. um, which it's like, all right, you're instilling some good lessons for the kids who are watching, but it, I don't know. It was, it wasn't a little, little high horsey. Uh, yeah, a little bit of that, but you know, and then they're forced to work together and, um, and, and again, get to that place of, of, uh, you know, uh, mutual respect, I suppose. And she thankfully sends him back to earth and, and right as he leaves, <laughs> you know, we get this great yeah. appearance by Lobo, which again, like really ties together those, those two episodes. Yeah. That, that was the cherry on top. I was so excited to see the main man. So that was, that was pretty good. Were there any villains from, you know, the Superman mythology specifically, or the wider DC universe, who didn't get any play in the series you would have liked to see, or someone you would want to see more of? I'm going to cheat and say, just because we're running, uh, I'm looking at the power levels here on my end too, but I'm also going to cheat and say, ask me that question next episode and let me think about that because i think there's actually a lot of room for a good conversation there as well and before i give a a flippant answer i want to actually do some research because i've actually been curious about how the time breakdowns work out for each of these characters and who got how much time in the series so before i do that ask me again next week let me do a little research because i think we could come up with some really good stuff and maybe some people we haven't seen in this uh, series that could maybe deserve a spotlight. So that's a, that's my cheat. I wiggled out of that one, but that is such a good question. I actually do want to give it some thought. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I will, I will certainly circle back uh, with you uh, when we do our finale in one week. I'll say for myself, I mean, I would say doomsday, if not for the fact that we do get a doomsday in justice league unlimited. So we do get there. We do. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give the answer that I always give because I feel like this is a character with a lot of untapped potential conduit. 
the okay the, yes the, the yeah, i think i've heard you mention that before yes yeah i say it a lot because this is true it's you know he's the the the, the 90s kryptonite powered uh villain kenny braverman who grew up with clark and yes who we talked about in um the legion episode right in smallville yes yes we did yeah, <laughs> yeah i talked about exactly it just right. two episodes we, we ago. talked about kenny braverman yeah <laughs> Um, Welcome but, to the Kenny Braverman podcast. It's nice to have you here. <laughs> but you know, it's the it's the kryptonite threat that Metallo poses, but with the uh, the personal grudge uh, aspect added in, right? That Kenny Braverman and Clark grew up together, and yep. when Kenny finds out Clark's secret, like it's that. it's the sense that like, oh, you had this unfair advantage, which he did. And there's a valid point of view there. It's that's if I had to pick one, I would say Conduit. And you know, what's kind of funny is that that character was very prominent in the comics, like right before the show started, like right before. So, I, you know, it's like, I, I have to imagine they at least considered Conduit at some point. So I'm sorry he didn't make the cut. Well, it's funny you bring that up too, because my gut instinct, and this is partially why I stopped myself, is I was going to talk about Cyborg Superman. Mm. But then I was like, wait a minute, we already have Metallo. And Metallo is kind of filling a very similar space also in that too. So that's also why I kind of was like, let me have some more time to really, yeah. really, uh, Th- think about that so but that's a great question it's a great question and good good insight anytime a character has that personal impetus and connection to another character it always makes for better stories yeah and look like we've been saying i think this is a, is a recurring theme here there's a timelessness uh and a very classic yes. sensibility about the show and so you know while i again conduit is certainly a character that i was like oh man i wish he made the leap from the, the comics to this animated series at the same time the fact that they really were focusing with some exceptions, but we're really focusing on the, the villains who had stood the test of time. Uh, I, I can appreciate that. So I thank you as always for, you know, another fantastic chat. Is there anything else that you want to say about these episodes before we sign off? These episodes, even with characters that might not be as flashy or as eye catching as some of other, uh, the other members of Superman's rogues gallery, of his uh, of his antagonists, this show still manages to produce a bunch of episodes that range from okay to fantastic, and I think that again is a huge feather in the cap of this show and what it's able to do. Yeah, no, well said. I mean, look, coming into this, I knew that the Bizarro and Mixy episodes would be would be fun, but they had. It, and I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but the Bizarro stuff especially had an emotional depth to it that I that really resonated with me. Among my favorite in the entire entire series so far, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, and and again, you know, the Lobo stuff ended up being a very pleasant surprise. Toy Man creeped me out in a way I didn't expect. So I would say yeah. o- overall, uh, these episodes exceeded the expectations that I had. So, just the fact that we spent a solid amount of time talking about Toy Man as we did, <laughs> I think, means again that they did something good here. So, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, so thank you once again, Jeremy. Thank you to the audience come back and I can't believe, I can't believe how fast this has gone but come back in one week for the finale of our five part event we are talking about the eight episode new gods arc eight episodes spread across three seasons of course um, but these are the episodes I've been probably most excited to come back to these episodes at least as far as I remember and I suspect that upon rewatch this will hold up you know, proved to be the most, you know, emotional, dramatic, action-packed, high-stakes episodes of the series. And as much as we've been finding, you know, threads as we've been going through each of our mixtapes, I mean, I think you look at these episodes and you really do see a a pretty cohesive arc here. Uh, So that will be our big finale next week. 
I don't want it to end, Anthony, but all good things. All good things, my friend. Well, we still have Justice League, so we'll, we still have more to do. It'll be all right. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting excited just hearing you say that. Justice for all, my friend. Justice for all. Yes. All right. So make sure you come back in one week. And until then, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. One action I hope you will take is to consider joining my Patreon community. My exclusive Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman rewatch podcast is available now at the $1 level. Many more rewards are available too, including a robust back catalog of bonus podcasts. All pledges come with a money back guarantee. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show.